no matter who they are, what inspired me was they all came and they all got taken care of. The ER is a great equalizer, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. because when you walk through that door and you put on that gown, the person that has a million dollars is every bit as vulnerable and in need as the person that came in off the street. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 137, The Undefinable Spirit, with New York City emergency room doctor and children's author, Jonette Weiss. Welcome to our 21st podcast under the Undefinable Spirit series. Our phone guest today, Dr. Jonette Weiss, is also an author of a recently written series of children's books called Giggles in My Heart. Jonette lives near Hyde Park and Salt Point in the Hudson River Valley of New York State and is the middle child of seven, mother of four, and grandmother of five. She's an ER doctor who has worked in several hospitals in New York City and is currently at St. John's Riverside Hospital in Yonkers, New York. Living off and working in the first major COVID-19 epicenter of the U.S. that continues to be a major scourge on America, she has experienced suffering and personal losses working on the front lines of this current pandemic. Jonette was born in Spearfish, South Dakota, and lost her birth mother at age six. Her dad remarried and moved the entire family to Washington State when she was nine, before tragedy struck again with the loss of her second mother at the age of 11. Her dad married for a third time, and this time her mother brought three children of her own, expanding the family to 10 children, including Jonette. Her stepmom, I'm happy to say, is apparently a spry 100, born just at the end of the last global pandemic, the Spanish flu, which officially lasted from February of 1918 to April of 1920, and is still able to actively enjoy her love of gardening. Hi, Jeanette, and thanks for joining us today from your home in New York State. Welcome. Well, hello, and thank you. And that was an awesome introduction. <laughs> May have to redo it. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to formally call you Dr. Weiss because I think it's appropriate for the question. So, Dr. Weiss, you've obviously had your hands full in recent months working the emergency room in a New York hospital in the midst of a major pandemic that struck New York City particularly hard. Both Harry and I are especially interested in hearing your thoughts based on your personal experience and whether or not you feel the situation was dealt with in proper measure by both the state and federal authorities? Thank you for the question. That is a really good question because I guess whoever you talk to, you will probably get a different answer. Mm -hmm. And I think what a lot of people don't understand is that it's really easy to see the answer to a question like that when you're looking back on the other side of a pandemic. But when you're coming into a pandemic, when you've never experienced one before, we've had epidemics and we've had outbreaks, but we've never experienced 
as a country, as a nation, as an economy, and as a global event, a pandemic. So when you start into the pandemic, you're looking at something that's really an unknown. What exactly is it is an unknown. Mm -hmm. How is the best way to treat it is an unknown. Who is going to be affected by it is an unknown. How can we prepare for it? I mean, everything is an unknown. So as we went along, we learned as we went along. Every day we would change, the rules would change. Every day we would learn a little bit more and we would have to adapt and adjust what we did and how we treated and the medicines we gave and things that looked good at one point later became obvious that they might not have been the best choice. Mm. So for somebody that was in the midst of it, with the rules changing sometimes minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, doing the best we could, being overwhelmed, having patients, so many patients are so sick, having being faced with something we'd never been faced with before. We all just tried to do the best we could. And now that we're kind of on the other side of it, it's really easy to sit back and see where maybe mistakes were made where maybe choices could have been a little different or a little bit better, you know. I want to be careful and caution people to give the authorities some leeway Mm -hmm. because they didn't know what they were facing. They didn't know what the right answers were, and we were all learning together. And I think the important thing to take away from it is not who made the mistakes, how many mistakes were made or who did it right and who did it wrong. The important takeaway point is that we worked together. All of us did the best that we could and we got through it and we are getting through it and we will continue to get through it. Mm -hmm. And we will all be stronger as a country, as a nation, as a people, as a community, because we worked together and we got through it. And we learned some lessons and those lessons we can take and apply to situations going forward. Wow. So well said. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. We don't often get such a clear, on the ground, thoughtful picture the way you've just presented it. So thank you. Yeah, great attitude. You've been involved in the field of medicine your entire adult life, working as a medical technologist in the Children's Hospital in Stanford before starting medical Mm -hmm. school at the very mature age of 36. What led you to becoming a medical technician in Stanford, and why the uh, relatively late entry into medical school? That's a, a fun and interesting question, because I made the decision to be a physician when I was very young. I knew from an early age that I wanted to be a physician. And I grew up in a family where... Not a lot of money was available, so I realized that I would have to fund my way through not only college, but also through medical school. And so my career path took me in a direction that would allow me to not only have, when I graduated from college, a career and earn money, but it would then be a path towards medical school. And when I was in college, I met my first husband, 
who we kind of said, we both want to go to graduate school. And we agreed that whoever got accepted into the best graduate school would get to go first. Well, he got accepted into several top schools, Stanford University being one of them. So we said, okay, we'll go to Stanford. You will get your doctorate degree first, and I will work as a medical technician, which I had to just finish my degree in medical technology. And when you're done, then it will be my turn to go to medical school. Mm. So that's kind of what we did. It Mm. took him eight years to finish his uh, doctorate at Stanford. Mm. And then we moved out to New York State. And it took me a couple more years to go back and get some additional classes and to get accepted into medical school. And then beyond that, you've been working in ER for something around 25 years. Can you talk mm-hmm. about can you talk about a moment from among all of your ER experiences that has been either surprising or inspiring for you? Oh, wow. It's it's hard to say one moment. Mm-hmm. As a physician in the ER, you never know what's going to come in that door. You mm-hmm. never know who is going to come across your path. Yeah. When you work in New York City, there's many famous people So sometimes I took care of celebrities, Mm. rock stars, and other times I would go from them to a homeless person. But each person had a story. Each person had a need. And I think what was most inspiring to me was they all came to me because they needed health care. They needed Mm. a voice to listen to. They Mm. needed an ear to listen to. They needed somebody to care and somebody to give them some encouragement, some medicine. And no matter who they are, what inspired me was they all came and they all got taken care of. The ER is a great equalizer in my opinion Mm. because when you walk through that door and you put on that gown the person that has a million dollars is every bit as vulnerable and in need as the person that came in off the street in that hospital down they all kind of look the same i think that's a good lesson for life really when you look past the exterior the fancy clothes or whatever it is, and you look at the real person underneath, that's where magic and inspiration and the real healing begins and happens. Well, again, beautifully said. Uh, now, Jeanette, if I wanted to apply for a job as an ER doctor or team member, what are the characteristics I would need to be effective in that environment? You would have to want to be of service or have to want to help others because that's kind of what you spend your day doing. You spend your day listening. You spend your day doing procedures that are helpful. You spend your day trying to figure out what it is that would be most helpful to your patient. And sometimes it's medicine. Sometimes it's encouragement. Sometimes it's advice. So I think probably you would need to be a well-rounded person, Mm -hmm. a well-grounded person, empathetic person. And for me, 
I think secondary to that would be the knowledge that you learn in medical school. There are skills that can be taught to anybody how to suture a wound, how to mm-hmm. remove a foreign body, how to clean out an abscess, how to set a broken bone. Those skills can be taught to anybody, but the really good physicians, the really caring physicians, those are the skills that are much more difficult to teach. And as a teaching hospital, I teach medical students, I teach residents, I teach interns. And the skills that I look for in the doctors that I would want to choose to be ER physicians in our residency program, Mm -hmm. Those are the skills that they kind of come to me with, the skills of caring, the skills of motivation, the skills of wanting to help, wanting to be a service. What is commonly known as bedside manner? Yeah, bedside manner. Good bedside manner. That's really important. It's hard hard to teach that. When people come to the ER, they're in crisis a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when they're in crisis, they do things and they say things. And they act in ways they would normally not act. Mm -hmm. And it's important that as a physician, you recognize that and that you don't take it personally Mm -hmm. and that you give them the space they need to show their vulnerability and to show their hurt and not take it personally. Sounds like a good recipe for long-term relationships and marriages. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. <laughs> just just moving on here because the interesting part, and Harry and I were quite keen on this because apart from everything you've just described, you've also taken up writing and you've written a few books on the premise of, or at least in part due to the work that you do. And before Harry gets into that portion of it, I'm curious Were there any children's books you read as a child that you look back on as being important or inspiring? Mm. There was one book I loved as a child, and it was a book about Alaska, and I... The Call of the Wild. Jack London. Jack London, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, Jack London, The Call Mm. of the Wild. That was one of my favorite children's books. Me too. And I love that book. Mm-hmm. There were some other fairy tale type books that I enjoyed, but The Call of the Wild was probably my favorite children's book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as a writer, I'm always interested what books inspire other writers. For me, there's a Canadian writer, Munch, and he wrote a book called I Love You Forever, I believe. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. book that has inspired millions of people who have read this book. And you wrote a book, and it's a wonderful book, I have to say, called Giggles in My Heart. It's a beautiful children's well, book. Well, thank you. Oh, it really is. And it's, it's a children's book that really speaks the truth around the quote-unquote monster that we've made of COVID in a way. I'm wondering, Jeanette, would you mind very much reading the book out loud? I know it's not a long book, but could you read it out loud to us? Would that be possible? Imagine sure. where, where, where your grandchildren gathered around. <laughs> yeah, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I would be delighted to read my book to you. Wonderful. The book is Giggles in My Heart. And I hope that when you get this book that you will go to Amazon and get it. And I just want to say a big shout out to my illustrator Mm -hmm. because the heart and soul of this book 
is not only the writing, but it's also the illustrations. And she did an amazing job of she illustrating. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know it's hard for you to see the illustrations on the podcast. but <laughs> We saw the book. We went through the book. But our listeners may have. Oh, <laughs> excellent. Have to go oh, good, good. So is the monster real? Is the monster growing? The fear that you feel is the fear of not knowing. Not knowing how it can grow and be spread. Not knowing what it is that you dread. The answer is easy. The answer is real. The monster is the way that you feel. How can that be? You say with a sigh. I feel so bad. I think I might die. The answer is easy. The answer is real. You can slay the monster by the way that you feel. Thank you, love, and happy feelings will destroy the monster with which you are dealing. So give to all a big bunch of love. A hug and a smile will bring the light from above. And the light will shine into the dark. The light will bring giggles and the love to your heart. The monster you fear, that monster has fled, for it was nothing more than the thoughts in your head. The end. Wow. Nice. That was beautiful. Beautifully read, too. Thank you. You know, when I read that book, I thought to myself, this is a book written for children, but any adult now, in the age of COVID, can relate to Mm -hmm. the message in that book. It's as much for adults as it is for children, in a way, the message is, right? And I'm just wondering, Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what kind of response you've gotten from the children who've read it. It's interesting because that is exactly the response I've gotten. The kids love the monsters. They love the wand in there, the light wand. I call it the giggle wand. (laughs) They love the fun things that are in the book, the monster running away, the monster under the bed. And they love the light and the concept that you can use light to, like sparkly light to chase away your fears and to shine light on the monster and make it run away type of thing. Mm-hmm. And the adults, most of them are like you, where they get the deeper meaning to the book, where they realize that so much of our fears are in our head. And the more we dwell on them and the more we think about them and the more we obsess and focus on them, the bigger and bigger they become. Mm -hmm. And that by changing our thoughts and getting off of the concept of just running this fear program over and over in our head, that by reaching out to others, forgetting about ourselves and thinking more about others and how we can help others, 
all of a sudden we forgot that we were afraid. Our fears are not nearly as big or as scary mm-hmm. as we perceive them to be. Mm-hmm. And something else, here's something that you may or may not have thought of. You're a grandmother of four. I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm a grandfather of one. I would suggest that this book would be a phenomenal gift for a grandparent to buy for themselves and then to actually sit and read it with one or more of their grandchildren because the satisfaction driven from that exercise, well, I don't have to tell you because you've got grandchildren. I think you understand what I'm saying. You're going to be pleasing, as Harry said, he mentioned the adult factor. Well, you're doing both at the same time. And I think it's just a mutually phenomenal moment for both grandparent or parent and child to enjoy together. And it does what classic great children's books do, which is to appeal to both. Mm -hmm. So it really checks the boxes (laughs) on all those fronts. Well, thank you. I'm delighted because that was definitely my goal when I wrote the book. I I wanted it to be a book that I would love as an adult Mm -hmm. and would teach a lesson to adults also or to be helpful to adults. Mm -hmm. But then I wanted it also to be just really fun for kids. And something that they would enjoy and something they would have uh, great pictures to look at and uh, fun, you know, fun things in it, like the monster under the bed and getting chased into the closet and stuff like that. And while still on the subject of books, you've also taken on to writing more. And can you talk about the two other books in the series that are soon to be released as well? So the two other books in the series, they also, I believe, do the same thing that this does. Both of them have much deeper, important lessons for the adults. Mm. And then they're fun for the kids because they meld the magical with the real. And in the second book especially, there's this magical land where some magical creatures live. And without giving out too much of the book away... A magical land where magical creatures live, and kids love magic. They love living in the world of imagination, Mm -hmm. and they love having fun magical creatures that they can identify and relate to. And the creatures in this land teach the children some very valuable lessons about bullying and how to deal with bullying, about believing in yourself, about having a dream and not giving up on your dream. But they also teach the adults some important lessons as well. They're also written in rhyme, like the first book is. All of my books are written in rhyme. The second book is quite a bit longer than the first book, much longer than the first book. I think it's about 40-some pages. And it really develops some characters and a story. And then that book is left as a cliffhanger for the third book. And so they almost like have to buy the third book if you want to know what happens, because at the end of the second book, you're like, ah, what's happening next? (laughs) So you got to buy the third book. (laughs) And the titles? Oh, the second book is called uh, Little No Horn and Shay. Mm -hmm. And the third book is called The Gift. Ah. Now, where will people find these books? Let's say I wanted to go out and find giggles in my heart. How would I get a copy? So all of the books are sold on Amazon. Okay. And once you uh, go to Amazon, put in Giggles in My Heart, 
and my book will pop up. My second and third book, I'm actually going to release them together. And I am in the process right now of putting some augmented reality into them. So they are going to have an extra special component of augmented reality, Mm. whereby the kids can actually interact with the book via a smart app on their phone. Mm. Neat. That's neat. Yeah. The second book was supposed to be released here next week. Then I decided that I would delay the release of both of them until probably around Cyber Monday. Mm. And uh, they both will be released together with the augmented reality. Nice. This has been really enjoyable. Absolutely. For me, it was great hearing a direct comment from someone who's actually in the trenches experiencing this thing firsthand. Because as you know, with media, one of the big challenges these days is figuring out who's telling what and how seriously to take even half the information that we receive or what the source is and so on. So on that note, and with the books and everything else that you're doing, incredible energy that you have. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Congratulations. Seriously. Uh, Absolutely. One of 10 children. You have four children of your own, five grandchildren, and you're an ER doctor who works night shifts, who commutes 90 minutes each way to begin medical school at the age of 36. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) No, but it is a pleasure. I mean, to to find people who walk their talk, you know, uh, is a a wonderful and somewhat rare thing. So thank you. Thank you so much, Mm -hmm. Jeanette, for that. Is there a website that people can go to to find out more information about you or the books? Absolutely. My website is heartslight, H-A-R-T-S-L-I-G-H-T dot com. And you can go there and find out lots more information about me. You'll actually see a picture of me there with my grandkids and you can learn more about my books. There's some information there on some of the charity work that I'm doing. Mm. I'm actually in the process of collaborating with a group of international authors to write and bring to the world the stories of the frontline COVID workers. Wow. Okay. Wonderful. We're writing a book called Heroes to be Heard, and you can learn more about that there as well. Before we close, any other special events or anything else you want listeners to know? If your kids love my book, you can, uh, at my website, check out. I have a store with some merchandise in it that has, based on the designs in my books and the characters in my books, uh, you know, T-shirts and clothes and mugs and things like that. So okay. just peruse the website and Amazon.com for the book. Great. And we'll uh, make sure that we include your website in our description notes to go along with the podcast. Perfect. And one day, Jonette, when all of this blows over... It would be marvelous to take a trip to New York City and give you a big hug, because that's what I feel like doing right now. And Harry, uh, me- Harry means it, too. I would love that. <laughs> I would love that. One day when hugs come, when hugs come back into fashion. Harry's emotionally and spiritually bereft these days because <laughs> COVID is doing a number on him. I miss it so much. The contact, the high fives, the hugs. I really miss it. The sooner the better oh, that we get man. through this. And thanks to you, we will. So You guys are very easy to talk to hosts. And you had great questions. And I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much uh, for 
taking the time and making the time to talk with me. Thank you again for joining Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Jonette, thank yes. you. All the best, Jonette. Take care. Take then. care. You bet. Bye-bye. Again, we'd love to hear your comments. Yeah, and an audiobook could be a bonus if you contribute. Yeah, and we have a little button on our website. You just press and record. Exactly. Ciao, Harry. Ciao, Peter. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com.